Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. And hello, everybody. It's Script Shop Show. Script Shop Show. It's a podcast. It's a Script Shop Show. Hi, I'm Jack. And I'm Allison doing a really good impression of Frank. Wow. Allison, how long you been working on that voice? Ooh, ooh forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Allison, what, uh, what was your, uh, how was your day today before we started this taping? Been all right. Been all right. Now you're, now you're, you're... No, I'm not Allison anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just back. That was it. You're doing your Frank voice. That's all I have. Uh, we've mixed it up a little bit on you today, folks. Surprise! Surprise, surprise in your eyes. We've got, uh, it's, it's me and Frank doing the show today. Yep. Red leather, yellow leather. That's it. Uh, and the reason, well, we'll get into the reason why we're doing that in a minute. It's uh, for a very specific reason. So, uh, hi, guys. Welcome to the show. This is a podcast where we talk about... Scripts. And screenwriters and the work that they do in their lives. And uh, what makes them great. And what makes them great. See, now you're getting back yeah. into Allison mode. Good for you. Uh, so if you have a script, if you've written something that you would like for us to read, you can submit it to us on scriptshopshow.com slash submit or... Or on Film Freeway. Film Freeway. Look yeah. us up. We're all on there. We're also on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Script Shop Show. You can find us on any of those social media platforms if you want to be socially mediated with us. And you should. And also, speaking of things you should, mm-hmm. you should hit us up on Patreon Yes. and uh, throw us a little bit of money to help keep this going. We're not asking for much. A buck will do. But just whatever, man. Um, whatever you feel like If you don't like have should... a buck, um, she's writing something. Just keep it. All right, we'll get into this in a second. We'll, hold on. Who we'll, is that? We'll get uh, we'll, that. we'll talk about this in a minute. So uh, if you don't have a buck or don't want to send us a buck, we would really appreciate a review instead. That'll do. Yeah. You know, if, if you like the show and you'd like to see us be able to continue the show and grow it and do well, any kind of interaction like that, uh, I'm sure you could imagine uh, you would we would appreciate. Yes. Frank, is this – so I'm, we've talked about before how you've got a – a different podcast that you've been doing for a while now. You do filmmakers drinking bourbon. Yes. Is it, it what I want to ask you about what it's like going from doing that show and having done that show for a while, and now you are hosting that show to then coming in here with us and and helping us produce and and taking notes and making sure everything sort of stays in line. And now you're switching back over into the hosting chair. Yeah, it's weird. I I might never give this up now. Yeah, you've this. She- <laughs> Bad news, Jack. This is I'm looking. This is you're my new you're my new guy now. Yeah, Allison's out. She's out. Frank's in. All right. Well, I feel like maybe I somebody should have had more of a say than this. Than like I kind of like would have had to. I'm sure Allison would have liked to have had a say. Everyone's all right with it. <laughs> I'm just the last to get the memo. Well, that's all right. It's I understand speaking the hierarchy of, around here. Speaking of that uh, filmmakers drinking bourbon mm-hmm. podcast, that's actually how I met Allison. Oh, well, that's right. I knew yeah. that. I, I, that. That's kind of how I met you too. Yes, it when is. we came to that your like hundredth episode taping. Hundredth episode. Yep. We're planning on getting to hundred episodes, but we're not there yet, and we need to. Um, we need to be able to get there. We need to move our way along. Uh, Frank, would I be remiss in asking if there's anything you've been reading lately? Um, actually, I'm a really slow reader, so one of the things I've recently done is i did some reading on speed reading you did some reading like some your slow reading on slow speed re- reading. okay yep 
Like you're so like because you're looking to speed things up a little. Yes, bit. especially like I I would like to. I mean, full disclosure, I just with how slow of a reader I am, I'm not able to read all the scripts that mm-hmm. come through here. And I really would, as a filmmaker, I really would read these scripts um, with you guys. And it just I'm so slow at it that I. I was like, I need to get faster. And I like reading books in general. Mm-hmm. So I, I went on to some websites and like, I don't really want to pay for a course now. I just want to get the gist because I've always like, oh, that speed reading stuff's a bunch of bunk. Right. Like, you don't want to, you don't like, want to learn how to speed read like, that hard. Nobody can, nobody can do a hundred pages a, in 10 minutes. Well, and you're thing. just looking, you're just looking to maybe pump and, the gas, pump the gas a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I found the site, I forget, I forget who had it, but it was a site that uh, said like, increase your reading speed by like 400% in 20 minutes. I was like, okay, I'll take 20 minutes and we'll, we'll see what happens. That doesn't sound like they're overpromising <laughs> at all. Yes. Let's find so out. So it took me about an hour and, uh, and I increased my <laughs> reading speed, um, by about 40%. So it's a start. Okay. And what were there any like little tricks that didn't occur to you to tr- what what were some of their little pointers? Uh, a big thing is um, practicing. It's more of like uh, one of the things they had you do was just practice like just scanning the lines without reading them, mm-hmm. just to get like it was more of like they like a muscle memory. Okay. Like training your eyes to not read like how you would normally read. Like normally you'd read starting with the first letter of the first word and go all the way to the end of the line. Yes. And like you have peripheral vision on your side mm-hmm. it's like you're actually wait like you can use that instead of reading the entire line by just reading most of the line and oh. you'll still get it and just training your eye to like go back and forth and like they said a lot of your time is wasted by your, your eye moving around the page okay but and that's so, like, kind of what reading is right by definition it's your eye moving around i i wasn't taught well okay when i was young uh, okay you want to like call out any members of the of, of your upbringing uh not on my upbringing Probably not a good idea. kindergarten teacher I'll throw her under the bus. You weren't you weren't thrilled with uh with your kindergarten. Well, they, there was two there's two kindergarten teachers in our school. Too much shape and, time and not enough blocks. Sure. Okay. I don't sure. know. And and that's also why I can't pronounce anything is because of my kindergarten teacher. We there was so there there's two kindergarten teachers in the school and like one taught reading by um, phonics and one taught reading by sight and I okay. got the one that's reading by sight so I never learned how to pronounce things. So you like correctly. maybe you would have done better if you would have been on the phonics end of it. Yep. Okay. I don't know how that would equate the speed, but well, all right, well, pronunciation. Well, listen, I think this is this is this I I'm I wasn't expecting to be able to have this conversation as long as we have. Genuine. I'm I'm interested that we went there. Okay. Do you and and you do feel better about having gone through the speed reading thing? Yes, and I'm going to probably do it a few more times and maybe look at some other sites and see like I don't think I'll be increasing my speed a thousand times. I just don't think that's realistic, but if I can mm-hmm. if I can read about a page a minute, like that would be I'd be totally happy because like right now like well not before i did that i was like at 10 to 15 pages an hour which is really slow it's pretty slow man. yeah yeah okay i mean i'm, I'm not i don't want to make you slow feel, i don't want to make you feel bad about anything like that's I, that's got to be very frustrating for you it is all right well so um frank do we, we should probably talk about not we've gotten all the business out of the way right mm-hmm. we should probably have a discussion about why it is the frank and jack show now Probably ought to be the Jack and Frank show. I've got at least a little bit of tenure at this point. I mean, you've been doing the podcast thing for a while, but I don't know. I'll I'm, give that to you. Let me have my van. Let me be the you know the, the the figurehead king, the lightning rod, and then you can actually be the one in charge, Tony Soprano style. We should probably talk about why uh, we are why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, we have a guest. Uh, her name's Allison West. Mm. Uh, she wrote a, a thirteen-page narrative short, and uh, she's here to talk with us. Well, we should probably uh, bring called- her into the show. It's called Texican, right? 
Hi. <laughs> yeah, Texican. Allison, hi. Welcome to welcome to the show. How this are you? This is all so exciting. So totally new. What's it like being in that chair? It's wonderful. Actually, I'm a big fan of the Jack and Frank show. <laughs> it's not that great. I really am. It's hard not telling you guys what to say, though. Because <laughs> yeah. you know how I am. Well, sure. Uh, but it's really, really fun listening to you guys do the show. Well, that's sweet. Hopefully everybody else who's listening feels the same way. We're glad that we didn't lose you and that this is a very specific show that we are doing because it's Mother's Day. Yes. Mother's Day. We're recording this in the future because I will be. No, I guess. We're recording this in the past. If someone's listening to us right now, they're in the future to us. (laughs) Okay. So, but we are, we're making it the future by recording it now. We're in the now for the future. Yes. That's amazing. We're talking about. We're t- if you're listening to this right now, we're talking about your present like it's our present, but it's not. It's our future. It will be your past, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Right. So Happy Mother's Day, though, y'all. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. Um, I'll have a child at this point, so that's why we're doing – I'm out on maternity leave. And uh, <laughs> not right now, but in the future, I'll be out on maternity leave mm-hmm. with the baby. And so we've canned a couple of episodes, and this is one of the ones that has been canned. Um, thank you, Frank and Jack show, Jack and Frank show for having me on. Good. Happy Mother's Day. Happy first Mother's Day. Thank you. It's wonderful. Well, and I think that there is a bit of a metaphorical Mother's Day situation going on as we talk about Texican, this, this, this creation of yours that you worked on and, and created and produced and raised money for and worked on for a long time and creatively gave birth to. That is very true. Um, the writing portion of it, though, happened way before the year and a half I spent post-production and traveling with it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because it's a long time, but like in terms of how long it took me to produce it, it was about two months until we shot. And then even writing it, I wrote the script really, really, really quickly mm-hmm. and then sat on it and marinated with it for a while. So uh, we should probably, I don't think we've really gone into much detail about what Texican's about. We've made a few references to it, and people who right. know you know about, especially if they know you from film festivals and stuff. Right. Talk. Uh, what is Texican about? You are from Texas. I, people know that. Can I stop you, Jack, from oh. Jack's show? Yeah, um, sure. We don't know too much about you. I know you're the the host of this other podcast mm. that's going on, um, Script Shop. <laughs> that's the one you're hosting right now. Yeah, that is. This um, is Script Shop subheading Jack and Frank but, show. But honestly, I know you you little um, give out little dabs about yourself throughout these episodes, but there might be someone listening to this one who hasn't heard any of that stuff. And even those who have heard all these little things, like, can you tell us more about yourself? Yes. Okay. I will do that. Um, do you want to ask anything specific about herself? Cause I mean, it's kind of an open-ended thing can, to be like, uh, just tell us about yourself. What well, do you want to know? What do you normally, we know her pretty well. What do you want to know about her that you didn't know before we started recording this? Um, what attracted you to the industry? Mm, um, I think that, mm, that is a hard question to answer because I am have just been a storyteller my whole life and uh, kind of a performer my whole life too, even as a, a little kid. And so as you get older, you just kind of find and fall your way into different things. And being in entertainment as a performer was a natural fit for me. I've learned, I've developed new skills that have taken me in new ways, but really at this point, when you kind of look at the things that light you up inside in terms of what you do with your days and how you spend them, performing is really what gets me going. So I tend to stick as close to that fire as I can 
so that I can stay as warm as possible Did on you, the inside. Growing, you grew up in the 90s. Were there a lot of like home videos of you putting on like little productions with your family? Yes, and stuff? so, so many. So um, I am from a big family, which meant that I had lots of cast members right. all the time. Yeah. And we had tons of cousins. And so we did everything. We First of all, we imagined a lot, whether it was playing school or library or store mm-hmm. or um, circus was one of our favorites where we would put on circuses. Because it was fun to be the animals? Um, I usually was the ringleader, but I always liked being the sequin people um, that would like spin on big swings <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you, you don't have those that production value as a kid. So I don't, we would just make stuff up. Um, some of the cousins would be animals. I think my cousin Sam had to be animals a lot. I think we picked on her and that was a part of doing that. But I love Sam, so I don't know why we did. Mm. Um, and then we would just do normal kid tricks. Like we had this tiny cousin named Sarah and we would do this thing where two, somebody would hold her ankles and somebody would hold her hands and we tried to swing her around enough so that her body would go in a complete circle. Oh and then we put that in the act and show it to her mom and my mom and everybody, and they'd freak. They'd freak out. So we would just imagine. And I remember too, we would do music videos, and I would make my mom do nice. the special effects on the giant music video ones. So some of them were imagining, and then some of them were actual production value type stories where I had all of my siblings doing shows with me growing up all the time. I'm pretty jealous, actually. I tr- I I tried to do that with my brothers and um, my cousins. I always tried to like put on like short short films or little plays for the family, and it never worked out because it was just like hurting cats because none of them were interested in it. So, we I mean we all I don't I don't really know why we all shared that common interest I guess then because they were pretty easy to rally and and depending on who it was too like I wasn't always in charge of these sometimes my older brothers mm-hmm. they would play with us too and we'd play cops and robbers and um, they would decide who'd be cops and who'd be robbers and. You didn't always get the part you wanted to play. <laughs> That's a good lesson to learn. <laughs> so we did a lot of this stuff when I was little. And then I did all the school plays that Farmersville had. Every year we had at least one. Um, we had theater. I'm putting that in quotes. In high school and stuff. And mm. we did that. And Were your parents terribly artistic? Mm. Or like, you know, imaginary, you know, you know what I mean by that? Yeah, well, my mom, she raised all of us and was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. And she played with us okay. all the time. Yeah. Although it hasn't played out amongst me and my seven other siblings the same way at all. I'm the only one that does this type of stuff. The closest one is Stephanie, who's an architect. Mm-hmm. So it has played out very differently in our lives as grown-ups and as we've made choices that get affected by other things. But my dad sings. He did theater in high school. He goes to musicals, and he's the guy that, like, sits in the audience and sings all of the songs with them. Oh, yeah, and my sister, Kristen. Jack just wrote down on a piece of paper, Kristen. Um, Kristen is in the industry. Yeah. That's... I just She moved out to L.A., and I guess slips my mind here in this room. <laughs> you just got to hold the got a sight out of my thing going on. But Kristen, she um, aspires to be a screenwriter as well. Yeah. And does a lot of production work too. Um, in LA, I guess for almost six, it's got to be close to nine, more than nine months because oh, yes. she moved out of the house and I got knocked up fast. <laughs> just FYI. This is the off the rails show, I guess, if we can make it that. I mean, listen, we're just going to be upfront about a lot of things. <laughs> so she's she's been out of the house for a while now. And uh, she's in the industry. But my mom is a photographer, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she's spent years developing that. 
was going to ask you when you were talking about the music videos and you said your mom did the effects. Like, what did she? No, do? this is silly. This is okay. like not post effects. It's I'm, like that's why I'm interested in it. Right? Like, no, you know, on the big cameras that you you had to like mount yeah. on your shoulders, there was a special effects button that I would tell her to push at certain times in the music. Yeah. So then it would like just apply special effects to whatever you were seeing. Like all of a sudden, there'd just be like lightning on the screen. Or um, what was the special effect? No, it was like mirror. Like they would, okay. they would split the screen and make things into a mirror or it would make it um, infrared and stuff so that all the colors were mixed up. And I we have this really awesome music video to Britney Spears' Lucky where <laughs> I choreographed this dance for me and all my cousins to do. And we hung curtains up in the living room and somebody is behind the curtain at some point throwing paper confetti <laughs> into the air. That's a production. As we're all, I got to find this. Yeah. So going from a, a childhood that involved a lot of playing pretend and performance and even through school and everything on the performance end of things, when did when did writing kick in for you? Yeah, well, I also, I feel like creative people are creative in the medium. You, you kind of just turn that to a medium. So I also wrote as a child okay. nonstop. I wrote diaries. I wrote scripts. Even though the scripts we would end up producing as kids, producing in air quotes too, they weren't necessarily based on scripts that I had written, but I was writing scripts nonstop as a child. And that didn't really pick up again until Texican, because when I went to college, I went to a, a performing arts BFA program where I just really performed. And I stopped writing for a long time. Okay, I would read, I would perform, I would study, and I would study roles. But my medium at that point was me. And I was really learning how to utilize myself as a performer because I hadn't done any of that real work in high school, I had a huge creative base, but you go to these BFA programs and there are kids who have been in performing arts schools since they were in kindergarten. Right. And suddenly I'm in the same room as them, not really knowing what to do or what tools to use. And so I didn't really write again until Texican, which is interesting. Yeah. What's What was your writing process like for Texican? Um, okay. So I end up like actually putting words down onto scripts when the stories are just like consuming me. And I had moved back to Cincinnati from New York with Philip, my husband, and uh, we weren't really getting along that much. And it was just really interesting to he me. He was your husband at this point though. He, um, We might've just been engaged. Okay. Honestly, I'm not sure really where our wedding fell in at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, but what was, I was going through a new phase of my life, which is like being head over heels in love with somebody and not agreeing with them a lot of the time and still not giving up on the relationship, which I had never, ever been in, in my life at all. If that had ever happened, I was, it was always kind of a deal breaker. There wasn't something extra about that person that made me invest in the relationship. And so I just, it sounds weird to say, but like the more we would argue or disagree or fight, the more interesting it was for me to try to figure out what this was really. The relationship. The relationship and like what it was to be with somebody and not really like them sometimes mm -hmm. all the time. Um, so I was just dealing with these concepts and these metaphors and that relationship that kind of dealing with that got pushed into this script where this couple have one argument that spirals out of control with neither one of them really knowing how or why it's a, 
or what it's even about, but it happening and them getting to a point where they have to make a decision at the end of that, whether they're still together or not. Mm-hmm. And for me, the script ends with them bridging that gap and finding ways to come back together. They get changed by this conversation, by this discussion that they have. And that was happening to me constantly. So my writing process is me kind of metaphorically dealing with a lot of things that then get pushed into words, which after writing Texican has happened like nonstop with other scripts that I'm working on. There are pieces of my life that just mean so much to me as a person going on a personal journey that metaphorically they get pushed into a new story where okay. where even if the story's not about me at all I it is about me so much because I can just feel where these things are coming from and then apply them differently and is uh is your husband Philip is he Mexican he's not um he is he I think he's German yeah I think he's very German he's very German <laughs> Philip <Yeah>. Kurtz <laughs> he's very German very German and he's um white skin pink faced blue-eyed German fella. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved it when I would travel with Texican and people hadn't met Philip before and they thought that my husband was Mexican or brown-skinned or from some kind of Mexican heritage. I loved it when they were like, I didn't know your husband was white. <laughs> and I was like, ha boom. So there, there is a, in addition to the relationship element in this script and in this short there are so are elements. There, there's a lot of racial elements there. If 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 the relationship part came from the real place that you just described, where do some of the racial elements come from then? Yeah. So um, Texican has this um, tension between a white woman and a brown man, mm-hmm. and basically, the, it's set in Texas where there are a lot of real racial social biases. And I and I say racial bias because I think that there's a wide spectrum to what race and racism can be Mm -hmm. and that a lot of times we as a society don't really know how to talk about race without it turning into racism or vice versa and that there's a lot of different conversations to be had so i have experienced a lot of racial bias in texas where i'm from and i love texas and it wasn't even it wasn't racial bias towards me as a white woman it was people that i loved showing a lot of racial bias to people of other skin colors, oh, whether that gotcha. it was brown or black or just kind of not white. Mm-hmm. There, There's a lot of racial bias that exists. And a lot of times I don't think people are doing it to be vehemently bad to someone, but that culture has a bias mm-hmm. against people who aren't white. And it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's not just like, it's like when you're, let's say you're in a crowded room and somebody steps on your toe and you know it's a crowded room, so you just kind of ignore it for a little while and then they step on your toe again and they step on your toe again and finally they stepped on your foot enough that you just yell at them, get the fuck away from me or something. Like that kind of buildup over time is what made me explore this idea of color mm-hmm. and how two people could love each other very much and find out something new that really at their core was different and bothered them extensively. And then they had to figure out whether they were going to overcome that or not. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times, um, especially what's going on in society and has gone on for the last couple of years, a lot of these racial and social questions coming back up, they just affect me because I came out of a world that has that stuff currently present and it it resonates with me personally. Mm -hmm. Being a white person, did you find it difficult to write this? 
And did you have a hard time selling it to the lead actor? Uh, yeah, I did. There was, um, there, I'm much better at just being open to conversations about race now that I've gone through this process and I'm in a much different place than I was at the beginning of it, where at the beginning I knew it was something I was exploring, but I didn't have a lot of vocabulary or education Mm -hmm. about race or racial bias or racism really. And it's kind of a scary thing to take on because I, I was so ignorant really. And that plays into the script a bit too, but I'm really glad that I've gone through this journey and have talked with lots of people of different backgrounds and different skin colors about what the script means to them. Because even putting the project out there as a fully produced project, it was really great to get feedback on it and continue to be changed by something that was finished, air quotes finished again. Um, and for Edickson, who plays Javi in the script, it was a hard sell for him because one of the characters, the white woman, is she displays strong racial bias, and um, he calls it out. His character calls it out from her, mm-hmm. and so it gets more and more intense. And then, as they're kind of trapped in this trailer that they live in together, yeah, as they're kind of forced to deal with each other at this point. Yeah. And when Edison read the script, he was like, "This is a racist script." It was supposed to be right because it's calling out this larger idea, but it was really upsetting for him to see something like this and to be given something like this where he's playing a character. He's um, said to me before and said in talkbacks that we've had that he had to like take a deep breath and calm down and talk with his wife about it. Mm-hmm. Who she's um, he's from um, she's from Brazil. He's from Venezuela, so they both have different. Um, heritage is there and they were just like well we know Allison we know she probably doesn't mean what we think this means let's think about it a little bit differently Mm -hmm. and they they purposefully put on my lens and approach the script and then we met to talk about it and by talking about it he helped me develop his character and his character's point of view much more than I could. So it was very collaborative at that point too, which I was open to. Yeah. To getting actual feedback from an actual person with brown skin about what a character with brown skin would be feeling or thinking at that point. And I felt lucky to get to learn that through this process. How much influence did he have in the development of the character from when it was on paper to when you guys were actually filming it? Um, He's wonderful to work with and he took most of my work and embodied it. There were there was language change, um, there was small characterization changes, but really he and I had worked together before as performers, and we when he showed up in Cincinnati to film, we did table work, which edit, which edited a lot of the script, and then we just collaborated and started working as performers. Mm-hmm. He really took on a lot of my vision and carried it and executed it so well, mm-hmm. and I applaud him forever for just being an incredible performer and professional in that way. I remember when we premiered the movie and we were there watching it and he was in town for it and it was I really really enjoyed talking with him just about everything. I think he's a crazy insightful guy and real smart and super sensitive and uh, you know an actor and everything sort of all wrapped up in one. I thought he that was an excellent uh, you know addition to your cast. I thought he was excellent. Yeah, he's wonderful to work with. And I I mean you I carry the banner for like my friends having work in the industry and helping people create work for themselves in these industries and just to be able to hire him to work on this project is just like the kind of stuff I love doing. I love working with my friends. I love working with talented people. Yeah. And it, it was awesome working with him. 
We should probably, you want to do a little, do we, we have, have we have the trailer. Yeah. If people want to hear some dialogue, is that? Mm-hmm. Here's a little... Here's a little taste. We're not doing an official read here because you've done it, and I don't feel comfortable trying to recreate what Edison put on the screen. And Frank, I'm not sure if you do or not, but we're going to just give people a little taste here of the trailer. I don't believe this shit. I just don't like the way you smell. You said it. I got it. Describe it. Doritos. <laughs> And refried beans. Yeah, see you. Name it. Come on. Name it. Laundry detergent. Mm. A mini market full of pinatas. Avocados. You're not allowed to talk to me that way, you know that? You're a fucking racist. Yeah. Music, Careless Love by Carl Story. There you go. Nice. Yeah, just throw that up there. That sounds so much... I mean, that trailer is so intense. It, it throws out, like, all the big buzzwords. He says the word fuck in it. Yep. He calls her a straight-up racist. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, like, button-pushing just in that trailer, even. I really like the way that trailer is cut, too, because as you've got the audio of these two sort of hitting some of the highlights of the fight that they're in the midst of over the course of the film, the trailer <clears throat> excuse me, is Edison sitting in the couch just sort of staring off because clearly the, the fight's been going on, and then you kind of come across in the shot and sit down next to him, and you're both just sort of sitting there looking off your separate ways as all these words are playing, and I think it's I think it's a really great way to sort of sell, hey, this is what I'm... Because only, it's only 45 seconds long. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you have a very short window of time to sort of pitch what this is, and I think that sells it spot on. And I do... In the in the script, like your argument, <clears throat> pardon me, your argument actually, in my opinion, um, starts out relatively innocently, where you just state like you cannot like the smell of somebody. I it, it, I think, and like he just he got he got offended by it, and then it just like kind of you guys just started like you could have just left it at there, like oh I don't like the way you smell, but like it was like you're like jabbing him. Mm-hmm. With a knife, with like oh Doritos and and refried beans and stuff like that, and like you may not think that's what he smells like at all, but like you're just poking at him because he keeps poking at you. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what this script is, and it's like that's the relationship component of it, where like when you know someone so well, you like you guys, you know what their buttons are, mm-hmm. and you either play that card or you don't, and sometimes you get in situations where you do, and it is so shitty to do that to someone, but also it's like. It's a learning thing. You, you know, you're maturing with somebody and your relationship is maturing as well. And so this re- it, this starts out really innocently. And then Edison and I would talk about our character work in terms of loading our characters with guns ready to fire. So that when something starts, it is like a, an, like a, a flame mm-hmm. lighting the rest of it on. That they have history prior to this event. They're not just walking in this, just talking about it. And that's just all kindling once this flame starts to get struck. Yeah. So for her, the relationship is really, she gets scared when he starts kind of pushing her and it just makes her push those buttons back and say things like, of course she doesn't really think he smells like Doritos, but she's just coming up with anything she can think of that's offensive. And at the same time, he has preloaded stuff about what she's saying as somebody that loves him about who he is and what his skin color is. And this is just the day where he's not dealing with that at all. And so he lays that on her 
rightfully so, maybe not in the best way to, but they're just like running into each other in this yeah. small space, being all up in each other's business, and it just falls apart. I'm really glad he decided to take a step back and 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 um, that I'm talking about the the actor. Um, when he got the script and read it and said, this is a racist script and decided to take a second to think about it. And then I'm glad he agreed to, to play it because in my mind, there's actually no such thing as a racist script. I don't think a script can be racist. I think the script is just a story. It can, it can cover racist themes and ideas, but it's really a story. It's generally a story about how let's, you know, these, especially these days, how let's overcome and how the, you know, racism is not, needed necessary called for mm-hmm. at all and you some people might not even get past halfway through the script once you start slinging Getting all those phrases that. and stuff to it and it's really important for for people to see it through and see the bigger picture well i think um i think that like so if there was such a thing as a racist script it would have to come from a racist writer you know and it would have to be not considered and I remember Edickson had a Skype call with me after I sent him the script like a week or a couple of weeks later where he, I think he was just fishing to see what my ideas were about mm-hmm. this. Because if there was no depth behind it and there wasn't a larger meaning, I think it would have been a racist script. Like if I had just meant exactly what the word said, right? then it would would have been one-sided. But when he was kind of fishing to figure out what I was saying, I was saying it's about this relationship. It's about race. She's pushing him. He's pushing her. And there was more depth to it. And I think that that's what saw him through to see me on the other side. Whereas sometimes I will read scripts. And when you talk to the person, there's not consideration or depth, whether it's race or it's sex or it's Mm -hmm. handicaps or it's something, it doesn't have comprehension or consideration to it. And those things I think do end up in my opinion being racist or sexist etc and i think i think a lot of it gets to the idea of and this gets into the argument that your character has with him treating a a person as though they're part of a group and a lot of the things that you are throwing at him in terms of this argument like in the smell discussion you're going to some very stereotypical things because all of a sudden now it's not so much about dealing with a unique individual person Mm -hmm. and you're putting him into a category and i think maybe if you're getting back to your analogy about being in a room and having somebody step on your foot over and over again you're not hey stop i i'm i'm an individual person don't put me into a category right It's when I was at the San Diego Latino Film Festival, which was a really rewarding experience and terrifying for me because um, San Diego has a high Latino population and I'm literally at the Latino Film Festival. Mm -hmm. I we screened Texican in a a room that had more brown people in it than white people. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there going, this is the first time that that had been flipped where I had been to places or I was going to places where it was going to be the majority of white people. And so um, the day after that screening, I ran into um, somebody who wrote for the newspaper there, and we were just kind of talking about this idea. And he said, it's so interesting that you used smell in here. He said, because there's this phrase, there's this insult, and I think he said it was German, where if you, you would tell people that you didn't smell them, and it was that if you, it was like erasing their normal existence. Or even like their essence? Yes. Mm -hmm. That if you didn't smell someone, you just didn't acknowledge that they existed at all, which I thought was interesting that this idea is cross-cultural or that just like certain heritages or certain 
races will smell certain ways. And a lot of times that can come from food people eat in certain regions of the world and how that's just developed over time and throughout history. Well, and you're used to what you're used to also. Like you grow up in a house where mom has a laundry scented, you know, candle in the room. And like that's maybe what you think houses smell like. And then you right. walk over to like your neighbors who has a dog and the house kind of smells a little more like dog than your house. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of being used to things and thinking what's normal versus like knowing that different houses smell different ways mm-hmm. and different people smell different ways. The smell associations with your personal memories. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to add, getting back to Edison and the collaborative process, because one of the things that we've had on this show a lot is talking about what a collaborative process film is. And even though you've got a there's a screenwriter who will write the script and then you bring in, say, a producer and there's directors and actors and even the the, the camera people and the lighting and the sound mm-hmm. and the editing and all that stuff working with Edison. What was the rehearsal process yeah. like getting ready for the shoot on this? Yeah. Um. OK. And so. Before we even brought him in the room, I wrote this with him in mind. Okay. I have seen him work and I know what our dynamic is a bit. And so when as part of like what is my writing process, I imagine the characters moving. And I had such fully formed ideas of who we are and what we would be doing as these characters that I was able to just kind of let them go and keep pulling the band-aids off and kind of letting them offend each other. So then when we got in the room, um, we literally taped out the dimensions of the trailer and where things would be because I had um, Edickson came into town to shoot and do rehearsal for two days prior to us filming. Mm-hmm. And so I had taped out the dimensions and then we just worked on getting the choreography right because I was very specific about the motion I wanted the camera to take in terms of who was giving who what, et cetera. And so we needed to figure out that choreography together. And, and so, and as you're acting, you're also thinking about shots and directing and everything yeah, sort of all at once. Yeah, it was a lot. But I do think that if you're directing and acting that you, you're holding the vision. And as long as you're staying true to your vision, it's really not that impossible. Okay. Um, with him, the thing that I kept working on was getting to the point faster where I would say, let's elevate the stakes from the beginning Come in fully loaded, make a different choice that gets you up faster, more intense, scare me some more, et cetera. And then I would try not to direct too much so that I could interact more. Mm-hmm. So like giving feedback, taking a deep breath, and then working together as performers only, and then moving on from there. Okay. And and the, the character work and his influence on maybe sort of tweaking what you had originally written, that all kind of took there, – there weren't any different discoveries in the rehearsal process? Uh, there were. Okay. A lot of it was during the table read. We okay. did the table read the day before. Then we started working on our feet. So that's when you make a lot of very specific choices about the story together okay. that ultimately influence how you behave. Um, so when we made those choices, we were able to have behavior because I do think that writing should be built out of behavior and that – Acting should be built out of behavior, and so should just overall storytelling be built out of character behavior. And then the whole end of the script is different than what finally made it on screen. We cut out the end of the script because we didn't need it by the time we got to it in actual rehearsal. Okay, so talk about what 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 do you mean? What did you cut out? What was the difference? What well, was cut away? In the in the movie, we get to Javi and Leanne sitting together on the couch, dealing with the fact that they now have to make a choice whether they're going to stay together or not. And in the script, we get to that place, and there's a moment, and then Leanne makes the choice to stay with Javi. And she ends up, she starts, they've just had this big argument about smell. She ends up picking up his clothes and just layering herself 
in his clothes representing that she needs him. Mm-hmm. That she wants him. I think she says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she ends up like just kneeling before him, putting her head in his lap. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of left dealing with her at that point. And that kind of gives her, that, that's like her with all the power deciding the relationship, right? She's decided that she wants to stay together. Yeah, maybe, but it doesn't mean they will. And yeah. his part is still open-ended. Yeah, that's true. But we would get to that point in rehearsal and we just wouldn't move to that ending. The ending was different. Mm-hmm. And that I could not have anticipated. And it wasn't until I got in the room with him and he and I worked on distilling the story into what it was that we realized it was about the moment before that happens when they are in that stretch space trying to figure out whether or not they're going to stay together or not okay yeah i didn't know about your uh the alternate ending until i read the script and uh, i i do like the way you handled it on screen yeah agreed i think it's the way stronger ending yep thank you so one of the things uh your character uh leanne um i actually i got the feeling that she was almost a bit intimidated by um, Javi, not not necessarily from like, the, I mean, I think there was some definitely um, physical intimidation, but I also think she was just intimidated by his success, um, meaning that he, um, you know, he's even though he's illegal, he he's over here, he's he has a job, he's paying forty percent of of the money. Um, she's, she's, she's working at JCPenney doing things, um, doing makeup on people. She's obviously not making a ton of money if she's living in a trailer park in Texas. Um, but he, here he is, he's paying 40% of your character's, uh, you know, rent and utilities and, and bills, but he's also living with his whole family. And I got the impression that he was supporting them right. too. You mentioned that he was a leader in the community. He speaks two languages. Right. And so I just got the feeling that I really like- appreciate you bringing that up because you are on the money there that a lot of their dynamic was her um, being impressed. And then in this instance, intimidated by his successes, that he's better read, that he's more um, aspirational, that he has a little bit more inspiration to better himself. Whereas she had never been in a position where she really needed to. Mm-hmm. And it got highlighted and brought out a lot of times by being with him, that those were things that attracted her to him, but at the same time, like, could easily repel her to him, too. Like, batteries, you know, like, the positive and the negative of both sides of that piece of them. And in this fight, it just comes out because he starts to bowl her over with his words, you know, his numbers, his successes, and she's just kind of at a loss feeling like she's not really as developed and doesn't have as much ammunition against him. So with all the uh, all the character stuff to mine out of this that you the thought that you put into this, was it tough to write this as a short? Do you feel like this is something that you could maybe revisit as a feature? This is a really specific moment in this couple's life. Yeah, I feel like I think that as a moment this is complete. Mhm. I have had people talk to me about making it into something longer, but then it becomes whose whose story is it, you know? And I think it's Javi's. And I'm not actually writing that perspective. I I wrote the couple, you know? I wrote this moment in this couple's life, and there were other pieces of it that were metaphor, the social stuff, the power struggle between success and not. But, like, I'm not always Leanne in this script. I'm Javi sometimes, and Philip is both characters as well. Okay. It's the characterizations of the couple in this moment that is this script. 
And I don't ever really think about expanding it into something else. I'm on to other stories and other projects at this I, point. Good for you. And I, I think it is better just leaving it as a, a short and leave some things, you know, what happened before, what happened after. Like, it's better just left to their imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was really, this started as a a try and see portfolio piece for me. I wrote it as a stage play initially and didn't know okay. what to do with it. And then I taught, I pushed it into producing, directing, festival circuiting, now into much bigger things. Like it started as a try and see, and now it's a portfolio piece for me. And the next film that I do will become bigger and stronger. And the next one and the next one as well, because I have more resources, more experience, more formed ideas, and lots and lots and lots of history about how these things tell themselves as stories from me. Yeah. This is your first film, right? It is, as a producer-director, because I've done acting work and film and commercial work as a performer. But this was the first one that I pushed myself to direct and produce, too. I'm, I'm glad that you didn't, as a first-time filmmaker, um, try to tackle a feature. I've seen too many people make that mistake. And... You, I just, you know, these things cost a lot of money for the minutes. This is like a 13... 13 minute 49 second film with opening titles and quick closing credits. I don't actually we don't do opening titles. We just have the Turn West Productions logo. Everybody got paid to be on the film. I didn't want to bite off more than I could chew. As a producer and just a normal person, it sounded like a stupid idea to do a feature when I didn't know how to do these things. I had to teach myself everything and I did and it worked out pretty well for me. And so doing anything longer than this would have been absolutely ridiculous. I could not have handled it. This was two actors, one location, one day of shooting, although I wish we had two. And next time I would always plan an extra day of shooting for something like this. Because you learn a lot when you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, I love it when we have people on who have written scripts that have gone on to actually be produced and talking to them about... I just like to know what, like, what surprises did you run into in the in turning this from something on the page into a production? Anything you didn't expect on the production side of things? Because this is a sort of a first undertaking. Talk about that with us for a little so, bit. So, 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 so much. So I, I feel like a lot of screenwriters a lot of time have lots of scripts because that is what they do. They write sure. scripts. But you know, we're talking about me being younger and being like a writer and a dancer and a performer and a, the director of the circus and everything. And the thing <laughs> yeah. is, is like, I've always asked myself to do just things well in general, just push things to their limit. And so with this, I think the biggest surprise for me was how much time I would spend with the movie after it was cut. After it was cut. Yes. And even after it was shot, because I told Kristen I'd have a professional movie for her to work in and like the beginning, the end of May, and then she moved to Cincinnati to work on this movie I was going to do. And I spent two months figuring out how to do pre-production and production of a short film that cost that I raised $8,000 for to do. And then we finished shooting July 31st. The movie was cut end of October, maybe beginning of November. And then I have and continue to work with it till now and it's what february 2018 mm -hmm. so we filmed in 2016 yeah. i spent all of 2017 traveling with it which is like so much cost so much um press so much marketing i would go to film festivals and i would market the heck out of my movie because i wanted people to see it because i realized that that was such a huge opportunity for me as a as a as a professional filmmaker 
to, I, to get people to see it made all of the work worth it, mm-hmm. actually. And nobody's going to be out there selling it harder than you. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, people can hire press teams and marketing teams with their giant budgets, but I didn't have giant budgets. I had a second job, yeah. and I funneled money to be able to travel with yeah, it. This is your baby. Yeah. it. I mean, it was before I got pregnant, right. you know? But, like, I went to a film festival where at a welcome party I took – a cooler full of jello shots and i put i put texican stickers on top of the jello shots i think i had some of them that I, <laughs> you did I'm pretty sure i had some of them yes that was so much fun <laughs> yeah because i had a bunch left over or i kept some here because i drove to chicago with a cooler of them but you know it had the name of my movie when it was screening on the stickers and it's just like you know stickers aren't free mm-hmm. jello shots aren't free mm-hmm. these things aren't free and and i was surprised at how much money and time I spent with the movie afterwards. Yep. And if you are a startup filmmaker, if you are an entrepreneurial filmmaker, which is what I've been calling myself now, n- being prepared for that cost is important. It makes you really want to get attached to projects that mean a lot to you because otherwise you are just spending tons of time and money on these things. I imagine as the the writer, director, producer all things, actor, everything. You knew what kind of limitations you had going into this, and you wrote the script specifically for that. Um, Unlike, uh, I mean, I don't think there's a wrong approach to writing a script, but like I know a lot of people write a script like, oh, don't worry about the budget, don't worry about the restrictions, just write whatever you want to. And I think that's fine, but I think it's not realistic to get like a first script produced. Produced, yeah. Mm -hmm. It just depends on what you want out of them, you know. Mm -hmm. The next... um, short that I do has more locations, more actors, and will cost more money, but it's all part of a plan for me to get, to strengthen myself to a point where I could produce and direct my own features. And I don't think I would produce an act in my projects moving forward, but whatever my role is, it would be a little bit more appropriate to what the story needed at any given point. With the um, film festival circuit you went on to, um, did you decide did you kind of have a plan going into this whole thing, like way before you even started writing it, of writing to have a better chance of getting into the festivals? So you wrote, I guess the question I'm going to ask is um, like the uh, the uh, racist themes, the inter- interracial uh, relationship, those type of tones that was just a story and you mm-hmm. then found the festivals that went into yes. it, not the other way around. Yep. I do think that creativity, like true creativity starts from the creative. And so I didn't write something that would be marketed well. I happened to have a story that was important to me that then I learned how to market well. Um, it was very timely for me because Donald Trump was talking about his wall for the first time when I was submitting this. And so I got a lot of social and current response from film festivals because of that. And from that response, I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, what would be really smart would be submitting to festivals that have a focus on Latino heritage, that this is something that's very timely. And also that makes a lot of sense. So I did end up submitting the project to festivals that were primarily Texas-based festivals because it's called Texican and set in Texas, had Latino um, influence in terms of what the festival itself supported or were female-driven festivals because I'm a woman, and that's part of what you can tell people. <laughs> the exact Everything you just said was the reason I asked that question. I, I, I thought, like, you know, last year when you're going through this, I was like, oh, that's pretty smart, like, hitting all those things in such a timely manner to do that, but... I didn't know if you had done that on purpose or not. I didn't. I mean, I've been very naive about the project from the beginning. 
and it's only coming out of it that I am able to take this new knowledge I have and and speak about it as firsthand experience that is true stuff for this industry and for where I am. Mm-hmm. It's helpful because a lot of people don't get these experiences, and I'm happy to share them. But it wasn't anything I planned. I just pushed myself into new opportunities and then made the most of them when I could. Anything, looking back, and this has been a a long process of having it written and then producing it and then taking it on the festival circuit. Anything looking back that you, I don't want to say maybe would do differently, but like things that you have learned from that you will definitely apply to future work? Yeah. I mean, I'll give a few specifics, but there are also so many. Mm -hmm. There's since... So much of it was new for me. There are so, so, so many things I would do differently. And I think the number one thing that will be applied differently moving forward is I don't have to do it alone anymore. That by going into the the way I did, I was able to pull some people to work on the project with me. But I don't think I would ever have to produce by myself again if I didn't want to. And you guys know here on Script Shop, Frank and I, we didn't get this started until we both knew we were in it. Because it's so much work to do something and do it well. And moving forward, I won't ever have to do creative projects alone anymore. And that's going to make all of the difference in my work. That you're just not too strung out to carry something. That you have someone there to carry the work with you when it needs to move forward. That there's more space for you to be people within that space. Um, because doing it yourself is exhausting. Yeah, It's tiring and it was really, really hard. It was exciting. It was a awesome. I didn't have anything else going on in my life then, but now I have resources and I have team and I have people that I want to work with that I was there for them and they are here for me. And I've met tons of people doing that. And now we have script shop. And I mean, this show script shop is a direct growth out of Texican and all Mm -hmm. the stuff I learned doing the film festival circuit. Well, and so is this independent film festival. So is this independent film festival. Yeah. Cause I went to tons of festivals that could have been more worth my time and Cincinnati doesn't have anything like this currently and so why not do something that's worth filmmakers times in a great city for them and the community both and um talking about this independent film festival you know another reason that's named that is because you're claiming your independence and yes that's exactly what you did with uh Texican is you you didn't have you weren't getting cast and some stuff. You just moved to the city. You didn't know anybody. You weren't getting cast and stuff like, well, I, you know, I need to do something, you know, for myself, but also to show people that I can do this and also build my independence. And that's what you did. You, you did this. Now you have, uh, you've claimed your independence and you have all these people now that will blindly follow you into battle. Blindly. I mean, I appreciate <laughs> it, <laughs> but you're exactly right where I just could not sit still and let my life happen without it being part of what I needed to do. This is just part of who I am. And so I found a way and pushed myself, and Philip encouraged me to do new things, and it has just been like a snowball effect, like a crazy snowball effect. But you do something thoroughly, you do it well, you believe in your creative vision, and you stand up for yourself, and you will just get led down these types of paths if you can. Look at you. This is great. I can't believe. Do you, do you see where we're at time-wise? This is, we're, we're, we've done a show. Is this where you say, 
This has been one of my favorite episodes. The time just flies right by. I mean, A, it did. I'm a little concerned with the scorecard that you've got in front of you there, that you started keeping track of whether Frank or I scored more points, because yeah. Frank has blown me the hell out of the it's water. It's just because he just nailed the whole Sindependence thing, which mm-hmm. is going to be cross-promotional for me, and he's just been super sweet. Frank's playing that synergistic card right at the end to really blow me out. Synergy is such a funny word. Secure my lead. Synerg- I mean, I just thought it was hilarious to be critiquing you guys during the show that turned into a favorites game. <laughs> well, good job, Frank. You win. <laughs> I uh, I know when I've been beaten. I'm not too big. Yeah, I'm out. It's cool. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't go anywhere because this is such a great thing we have going on here. Uh, guys, thanks a lot for listening. This is, uh, I mean, obviously, if, if you do hear what Allison is talking about and you're just in getting in touch with her, uh, we've talked about the ways to do that. She's uh, your bestie Westie on Twitter. There's a million ways to contact us through this show right here. Uh, scriptshopshow.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, so in terms of contact, that's that's your that's options what, for sure. Yeah, that's yep. what you should do because this is the show where that's what we say. <laughs> and we uh, we love screenwriters and we love reading your stories. Uh, if you'd like to chat about your work or work that you've been a part of, feel free to send us your script. Uh, script shop shop. The script shop. Yeah, see, I did. <laughs> You're so close. It's because you were going too fast. It's yeah. hard. It's script hard to do. com slash submit or better yet, film freeway. There we go. And we uh, also getting back to other ways. If you're interested in support, uh, Patreon, uh, leave us a rating on iTunes. All those things are great. Thank you guys for indulging us. I think, Allison, that you brought a lot of interesting stuff to the table. I'm glad that you were able to get your story in the way that we have a lot of other writers on to talk about their stories and the themes and and all that stuff. I, I think that this is uh, this has been a, I've enjoyed this show very much. I've enjoyed talking with you in depth about this without an audience full of people that are making fun of the questions that I'm asking. <laughs> That's me. Usually. Brett Schneer, well, and Brett Schneering, Brett. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Bretty. <laughs> Uh, I totally agree. agree. Uh, That's a wrap. Wow. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.